Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of youth and families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, good to be back with you uh, and with our listeners today uh, after uh, a little bit of a break. But um, we are um, picking back up. We had hit the pause button for a few weeks um, while we did our social media mini-series. Uh, we hope that was helpful for folks and that we didn't trigger anybody to use some social media language. Uh, but that it, it was helpful and encouraging to folks as they think through how to best to be a Christian online. Um, today, we're going to pick back up on our series of Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament with uh, a book of the Bible that I, I would imagine a number of our listeners are not terribly familiar with, uh, and that is the book of Ezra. But before we talk about that, I want to mention that it, that our podcast, Assurance of Pardon, is a member of the Society of Reform Podcasts. Gage, how do our listeners uh, check out some of those other podcasts with which we are affiliated? Uh, there's actually a couple of places you can go visit. They they do have an RSS feed where all the podcasts, including Assurance of Pardon, are all together. So if you look at uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, look for Society of Reform Podcasts, and that'll actually have everything in one location. Or you can always visit their website at Reform Podcasts. That's podcast with an S, reformpodcast.com. Uh, speaking of uh, partners that we have, Scott, uh, let's not forget, we have a partnership with Logos Bible Software. And That's you exactly can actually, right. Yeah. And so we we appreciate Logos. We actually use a uh, little backstage uh, behind the curtain. We use Logos in every recording uh, of our assurance of pardon. And, and right now there's a lot of great sales going on with Logos. You can, of course, go to assuranceofpardon.com slash Logos and uh, you can get uh, a few uh, free books and, uh, and a special discount. Uh, and as you're kind of navigating that and you're shopping around, let me let me give you a couple of resources I want to highlight. Uh, first, uh, there's actually a sale right now on the Reformation Study Bible and its notes and the Reform uh, Reformation Heritage Study Bible um, nice. and its notes. I got both of those for $17, right? Wow. So let, let me put that in perspective. Uh, if you buy the Bible, the Reformation Study Bible right now is going to run you about 60 bucks if you get it with leather. Um, so I got both Bibles and their notes digitally for less than 20 bucks. And, and what's, and why that, why is that so helpful is because that means that um, because Lagos has uh, uh software applications for for ios and android phones and tablets as well as for a windows and mac computer you can have all of your resources with you everywhere that you go so when i lead our weekly uh, bible study uh, that we do i will often uh, take my uh, my tablet 
because I have access to all the notes that I would ever want to access um, in, in real time that I can I can pull up there. I, I'm not going to be able to roll into a Bible study carrying a stack of hardback books that I'm going to flip through while it's going on. But I can quite easily as I'm uh, as the conversation is flowing in our small group study, I can easily look up and and quote. Uh, hey, here's what R.C. Sproul said about this passage, and here's why uh, this that's extra helpful. So, yeah. Uh, I found a, a number of years ago that as much as people, I get it. I like a, an actual real physical book. The problem is I like real physical, physical books too much and I can't right. carry, I can't carry them with me everywhere I go. Uh, my backpack won't hold them all. That's so right. it's because I like physical books that I have to, I have to go to these, these digital products because I just can't take them everywhere. That's right. So hopefully uh, those are a couple of resources and help, help uh, helpful to you guys, especially as we're studying books that you're unfamiliar with. Because like today, um, if you had the the Reformation Heritage Study Bible, um, you would have notes about the authorship, about the outlines, understanding Ezra, the date of the book, the 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 timeline in in, in terms of what's going on, uh, the theme and the purpose and, and synopsis. Uh, so that would help you kind of go a deep dive into the study. So we're just going to give you kind of a taste of Ezra today. Uh, and then we, of course, encourage you to grab some of these resources and, and jump right in. So, so Scott, you ready for Ezra? Let's go. All right. So to help us understand where we are in the storyline of the Bible and kind of um, – what's going on. Uh, Ezra is set um, after the Babylonian captivity. So um, if you remember all the way back in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy ends with these blessings and these curses, right? If you do this, this, this will, will go well for you. If you disobey God, then these things are going to happen. And, and part of those curses that were promised uh, from the disobedience of the people of God uh, is they're going to be taken captive and the Northern kingdom and the Southern kingdom uh, of, of uh, Judah and Israel were both ca- taken captive at different times by the Assyrians uh, and by the Babylonians. The, and you also have to understand during this time, there's three world powers. There is uh, the Persians, Artaxerxes. If you ever, uh, you remember the movie the Th- uh, Three Hundred, right? Where, right, where, right? Yeah, so, so you get that's kind of what you have in your head when you think about Art- Artaxerxes. Um, but so you have um, the Persians, you have the Assyrians, and you have the Babylonians, and those are kind of the world powers during this time that Ezra and Nehemiah and Jeremiah and, and Isaiah and, and the others are, are writing uh, and, and getting and acting as prophets of God. Um, and each world power had kind of different approaches to how they dealt with the people under their rule. The Assyrians want to just destroy things, which is why when they, they take captive the Northern kingdom, we don't hear, uh, of, of Judah coming back again, right? Um, the ne- you only hear about Israel gathering as a nation uh, moving forward. Um, the Babylonians wanted to basically infiltrate uh, culturally so much that you realize that the Babylonian culture was the superior culture. Think about Daniel when we get there and the whole showdown about 
um, well, I'm going to have my diet. You have your diet. Let's see where our, guy, our guys are at the end of this contest and, and the, the bending of the knee and Shadrach and Abed, you know, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and all those things, the, the cultural uh, back and forth between the people of God and, and the Babylonians. Um, and then the Persians, uh, Cyrus, who we're going to get introduced to in chapter one, and then Artaxerxes, they're more interested in letting people kind of do their own thing. Think about um, American democracy and the freedom of religion, right? You worship whoever you want to worship. We're not going to going to tell you what to do, but in hopes that whoever your, your God is, we're all on the same page of what the mission of the empire is, right? And it's funny because you see elements of that even in our culture today, right? We see oftentimes the the big culture and, and certain groups pushing their agenda as the conquering uh, culture. You see certain people wanting to cancel or destroy anything that, that isn't in agreement with them. And then you see um, kind of this open... You know, we we can all coexist. We all can get along. You do your thing because we all got one central theme, and that's whatever's good for for everybody, right? Um, so nothing really has changed. There's nothing new under the sun, but that's the context of what's happening. So you start in chapter chapter one, verse one. In the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. So remember, this is at the end of the captivity that Jeremiah told told them what would happen. And this is important because in the English Bible, things aren't in chronological order, right? So this is actually at the end. This is after Jeremiah's time. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. And then here's the proclamation in chapter one, that he's going to let uh, a remnant of Israelites go back to the promised land and um, build rebuild things. And it's important to know originally when this was written, Scott, that Ezra and Nehemiah, just like Chronicles was one book, they wouldn't first and second Chronicles. They're just the Chronicles, just like the Kings. Ezra and Nehemiah was one book. Right. Correct. A lot right. of folks don't know that. Yeah. And so Ezra is going to be focused on rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah is going to be focused rebuilding Jerusalem, right? Rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the city. That's so right. They're, they're working together and they're a unified um, team, leadership team to try to rebuild things back. So that kind of gives you the context of what's going on as we get into Ezra. And so as you get in chapter two, you have a list of names and you live a list of numbers. And let's be honest, as we talked about before with genealogies, this is the time where you would, all right, I got to skip chapter two, right? I'm, I'm in my, I'm in my McShane, right, right. <laughs> I'm in my McShane Bible reading plan. Professor Horner. It, yeah. And and today, today in it is Ezra chapter two. And I, I had to take an extra math class in college, so I'm not yeah. good at this. And so I got to flip this, right? This Let is me the, this is the cheat day on my diet. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Let me encourage you not to do that. And here for two reasons. Number one, especially those that are going to that listen to our podcast that are preachers and teachers, right? Sunday school teachers, uh, ladies that lead women's Bible studies, whichever. Um, if all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching reproof and correction, 
training that, in righteousness. Yeah, yeah training that the that the person of God may be trained in righteousness. That includes Ezra chapter two. Right. So there's a reason God doesn't just speak for for his health. Right. If God's going to speak, if the Holy Spirit is going to inspire authors to put things down on paper so that we could then receive the word, there's a reason for it. So so spend the time figuring out who these people are. Why does this matter? What is going on? The the other thing I would tell you is um, this isn't a fairy tale story like um you know the brothers grim or harry potter or what whatever these are actual people with actual families uh that are actually trying to to restore the city and 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 be a part of what god is doing and that matters because every sunday scott you and i pastor real people that's right real families in real situations and so even as you're dealing with ezra chapter 2 you know, brothers that are going to preach this, uh, keep that in mind. This is a great opportunity to talk about families and to talk about uh, what what God's desire for covenant families are. And so you, you see this here in this list of names. It's also important that you see some of the highlighted names that you recognize. So let's talk about this for a minute. Beginning of chapter two, uh, it says they returned to Jerusalem and, and Judah, each to his own town. And they came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, uh, Zariah, Realiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpar, Bivgai, Rehum, and Banah. Now, you may not recognize all of those, but there's a, full, a couple of those that, that start to kind of make some sense, right? Uh, Nehemiah, you know that guy, right? Right, uh, sure. Um, Zerubbabel, that's also another name that we need to know. Why does that matter? Because Zerubbabel is a part of the line of David. He's that, and remember the covenant with David is that he is going to have a kingdom whose rule and reign will have no end. And so um the the issue uh that we're seeing is uh they have been in Babylon for 70 years. There has been no king on the throne of David for 70 years. So in a, in a real sense, there's there are these questions, right? Just like with Jeremiah, when we, we joked about, um, you know, Jeremiah um, and, the, and the, the passage about, you know, I know the plans I have for you, right? Um, there is a real question after 70 years of Babylonian captivity of is God still going to do what he says he's going to do? Is is he actually still going to fulfill his promises? Can we actually count that he hasn't forgotten us, given up on us, thrown us, thrown the towel in, whichever? Zerubbabel is a great reminder that he hasn't, because Zerubbabel is from the line of David uh, and is and essentially a king without a throne. And so you you see kind of the the benefit of that, but also pay attention to who's in this list. Right. We got men of the, the people of Israel. We got priests. We got prophets and we got kings. Why does that matter? Because Jesus uh, executes his his offices for us 
in the office of prophet, in the office of priest, in the office of king. And I would direct you to our shorter catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, the, the One of the beginning questions is, it starts to ask, how does Christ execute the office of prophet? How does Christ execute the office of priest? How does Christ execute the office of king? And as you start to kind of understand those three different offices, It'll one, it'll help you understand your old Old Testament better because then you'll start to see these connections and these foreshadows and these types. Uh, but also it helps you understand why Jesus came to do what he came to do, right? He came to proclaim the truth of God to the people of God. He came to not only um make a sacrifice that was acceptable to God, but to be the sacrifice that was acceptable to God. He's both the priest and the sacrifice mm-hmm. and to be the king who's both going to uh, conquer all his and our enemies and to do us to himself. Right. And so even here you see in this list, it's not an exhaustive list of people, but it is a list um, that's made up of prophet priests and even a king. So I think that's super helpful. So as we get into it, you get into chapter three, Scott, and you see the rebuilding of the altar. Now, if you were going to build a church building, Scott, right? So we're built, we're building the temple. Would you start with the pulpit? Probably not, right? You'd probably right. start with a concrete foundation. You want to make sure you got everything level and you want to make sure that you got architectural plans and all that good stuff. But there's two things I want us to pay attention to in Ezra. One, it's the primary focus of the temple all, all throughout and the need for things to be pure and holy and in regards to, to the rebuilding of the temple. Because just like where, where Chad Bird, our, our buddy Chad, always... Uh, does such a great job of of weaving Exodus throughout uh, the entire narrative of, of the scriptures. Right. Um, the concept of temple is also one of those things that we're going to see repeatedly. Why? Because God wants to dwell th- with his people. And and let me give you a couple of quick resources. G.K. Bill, there's a couple of great books that he has. If you just go to Amazon and you look up G.K. Bill, he's got like three, two or three books on temple and on this concept that God is constantly building temple um, with us uh, that would be super helpful uh, and help you kind of deep dive into this. But you see it in the garden, right? God wanted to dwell with with his people. Uh, You see it again in uh, the, the people roaming in the wilderness, right? Where they're having to pick up the tabernacle repeatedly. You're going to see it here. And ultimately you're going to see it with Jesus who was God dwelling among us. Uh, and you're going to see it with this church that he's building, whose uh, cornerstone is Christ, who's built on the foundation of the pro- apostles and prophets, who has the spirit of God dwelling within us. And we now are the temple. Right. And and it ultimately culminates in Revelation where uh, the Revelation. glory of Christ right. will, will, will shine throughout the entire creation. There will, will be no need for the sun. Yeah, we're, we we see this, and we need to keep this in mind uh, uh, when whenever we are, to, if we're going to be good covenant theologians, if we're going to read the Bible uh, the way the church has historically read it, and not as dispensationalists, we need to we need to remember that uh, Jerusalem, uh, that the temple, that that all of this is pointing forward to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the new heavens and the new earth, because the writer of the Hebrews tells us that Abraham was looking forward to a city built not with human hands, 
whose architect and builder is God. And so what we see in Revelation 21 with the city coming down, we see a city whose architect and builder is God, that Abraham was always looking forward to that. That's what the Hall of Faith is is getting to when it's talking about uh, about Abraham. That's right. So let me let me give you a couple of quick resources for GK Bill. I told you. Yeah, and that's search. that's B E A L E. That's right. Our, that's, yes. right. G, that's right. That's uh, right. So he's got a book, GK Bill and Mitchell Kim. God dwells among us, expanding Eden to the ends of the earth. Really great resource. Um, there's another one. Uh, it's a, it's a green book, green, green cover. Um, there's another version of that. Um, God dwells among us, a biblical theology of temple, essential studies in biblical theology series. Really, really helpful. Last one I would give to you, GK Bill, uh, DA Carson's actually the editor on this one. It's a great cover. Um, it's, a the temple, the, the temple and the church's mission. That's right. The temple and the church's mission. Uh, all three of those super helpful. We'll try to remember um, to put put that in the show notes as well. Um, but those are three great resources to help kind of run with this concept. But that that kind of that temple concept is an overarching banner in, in Ezra to help you understand what's going on here. The second thing I want you to see that matters. Uh, and I, that's why I asked the question, Scott, if you're going to build a church, what would you start with? Um, they start with the altar. Why is that? Well, think about it. For 70 years, 70 years, there's no temple, which means in their mind, they feel like the presence of God has been removed from them. Um, there's also no weekly gathering on the Sabbath. There's also... Um, no sacrificial system. So there's no way to atone for their sin because they're in captivity um, dealing in, in a cultural society. So after 70 years of dealing with the consequences and the effect of their sin and their idolatry that led to this captivity, they they've, they've got some conversations with God. That they've got to make right, and they so they build this altar, and they they sacrifice as as a sign of repentance and revival of Hey Lord, we get it, we we did that, and we're sorry. Um, and so you're going to also see that that theme through throughout Israel. So Scott, when we get to chapter four, just like in the book of Nehemiah, we've got haters, right? We've got, but the thing about these guys where. Um, in Nehemiah, they're going to want to to come down and 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 discuss things with Nehemiah. Um, here, they want to just kind of join in with Ezra. Hey, we're you know we've been here this whole time. We didn't get taken into captivity. Um, you know we're we're we've been worshiping this whole time. We've been doing this thing. We want to be a part. Uh, Won't you let us be a part? And and if you read it without understanding the context and the the ceremonial background you're going to feel like well Ezra that you're kind of a jerk dude they just want to worship with you don't you want people that want to worship with you but here's the thing they don't want to actually worship in the way in which God has commanded they want to kind of bring their own flavor into it and and, and this is a, what you see every time you're trying to worship God and proclaim the word. 
um, in a way that's going to run up against cultural evangelicalism. Let me give you a couple of examples. Number one, I was hanging hanging out the other day and, and we were going through finishing up Mark. And so I'm, I'm at uh, a church league softball game. We're talking and uh, I'm mentioning that we, you know, we're studying the long ending of Mark and trying to figure out what we believed about and what we thought we're, we're, we're going to preach the passage or not. And Hey guys, what do y'all think? And we're just having a conversation. And one of the guys on my team, bless his heart said, um, well, I mean, you're a Christian, right? You love Jesus, right? Do you tell people about Jesus? That's all that matters. And I told him, I said, hey, I I appreciate the heart behind that. But when you say something about God, you're saying something theological. So if I share the gospel, I'm sharing something theological. That's right. So it matters when I talk about God that I'm accurate Otherwise, I'm blasphemous. That's right. That's right. It's right up there with with R.C. Sproul's book, Everyone is a Theologian, right? Which is true. Everybody's a theologian. The question is, are you a good one or a bad one? That's right. I once I once uh, was talking to somebody at another church, and I mentioned the fact that we that at the time um, I said, yeah, in our Sunday school classes, we you know we we study theology, and they were like, oh, why would you study theology in Sunday school? I'm like. How do we not study theology? We we're always this is back to our old episode about the old uh, the problem with the phrase no creed but Christ no book but the Bible. We're always studying theology. You you can't you can't not to say you ought not study theology is in and of itself a theological argument. Um, it, you are if you are saying anything about God, if you're saying anything about the Bible, if you're saying anything about man, you are making theological statements. We can't avoid it. That's right. The question is, so are the, we going to be good theologians? That's right. So there, there's and but there's this there's this feeling now um, in evangelical and charismatic circles that um, doctrine divides, brothers. So you don't need to do that. And I hear these things in my town and in other places. Um, and so people just want to come to church and they want to worship God however they want to, wherever, whenever they feel like, whenever it, it's convenient on their schedule to do so and call it worship. Because, I mean, obviously the Lord's just going to honor our, our worship. Here's the same thing. Ezra is dealing with people that aren't actually wanting to um, purify themselves, do things according to the law, worship God in the way in which he's lined out for the people of God to worship him. They just want to, uh, well, we've been here the whole time. We've been doing our own thing. Um, won't you just let us be a part? And and Ezra knows that's how they got in this mess in the first place, is this concept, I'm using a big word here, Scott, syncretism, where where they're mingling in the cultural norms with Come on now. the the people of God. And, and and the the law of God, a high profile evangelical leader in a in a in a large evangelical denomination in the United States recently said, uh, "We need to quit focusing on secondary issues and keep the main thing the main thing." Uh, and and I, it just made me say, "Who who gets to decide what are secondary issues?" That's right, and, and it. My my worry is that it is that in his mind, secondary issues are any issues that you disagree with me on. <laughs> yes, that's a secondary issue. And and uh, C.S. Lewis uh, 
talked about this in mere Christianity is that not only do, do we disagree about issues, we can't even agree if those issues are secondary or primary. You say what I say, well, we disagree on that, but that's a secondary issue. And you say secondary, it's the linchpin. It's pivotal. Mm. Um, doctrine does divide. There's no way around it. And that's not a bad thing. No, it's not. It's not. And so that's that's the context behind what's 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 dealing with these adversaries. And then you get into chapter five and six. Um, and there's something something really two things I want to point out here that help us uh, see the the storyline of the Bible and, and see it connecting to Jesus. First is the mention um, in uh, chapter six of and uh, chapter five, actually, of of Haggai. Now, Haggai and Zechariah. Where have we heard that before? Those are those those books of the Bible towards the back of the Old Testament before you get to Matthew that you always have trouble finding because they're only one or two pages and you and you read them for your your devotional time and you don't understand half of what they're talking about. Um, that's actually um, important and it's vital because those guys, the minor prophets, Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi, Zephaniah, all those guys, um, they are contemporaries they're ta- they're prophets at the same time in a lot of lot of ways as as, as Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezra uh, and so that these they're happening at the same time this will help you kind of see the Bible is one story so I would even encourage you as you're studying Ezra go read uh Haggai uh it'll take you about 30 minutes if that Right. They're they're normally all the minor prophets are normally like five chapters. Zechariah's 12 chapters. But um, and so as as you're you're dealing with that, um, you got Haggai and, and Zechariah that show up on the scene in chapter five to help you kind of start to connect your Bible together. But you also have um, surprise, surprise. The the Passover celebrated at the end of chapter six. Now, Scott, every time we see the Passover celebrated, what do we think of? We think of the Lord's Supper. Amen. Yeah, uh, be- because it, it's, again, interesting that of all the things they could have brought in, right? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the the Festival of Booths, um, the, all the, the Day of Atonement, all that fun stuff. The, the thing that they want to celebrate to kind of celebrate the temple coming back together is the Passover. Why is that? Because the Lord is driving one point in one story that the true Passover lamb is going to come and shed his blood for the people so that death would pass over them and that they would live. Um, and that the, the new covenant instituted in the broken body and shed blood of Christ is the thing that we need. Amen. Um, and, and so that that's really important to help us understand the story. So you get into chapter seven and um, Ezra is going to teach the law to the people of God. And I love this for a lot of reasons um, because verse 10 cha- of chapter seven, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach its statutes and rules in Israel. You know, offline, you and I were having a conversation, Scott, and you were you were thinking about the law and how we think about law and gospel and, and think about, about sin. Uh, things have been chaotic for the people of God for a long time. Everything is in ash and brokenness when they come back 
to the promised land. And yet what he's going to give them is the law of God. Why? Not so he can give them a bunch of rules that they need to remember to follow so that order can be established in, in, in chaos. Uh, and so that, that, that sin can be confessed. And so um, that that's really helpful. But what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, let me connect some dots for you. Both in the beginning of John and the end of the Gospels, there are there's an account that we all love to talk about whenever we think something, some injustice has happened, and we need Jesus to back up our agenda. Uh, and it's the the Jesus entering the temple and flipping over tables and chairs. We love that story when we think we're going to co-opt Jesus for whatever our agenda is, right? Um, but what does it say? about Jesus's character when he enters the temple that he did so. And they remembered the prophet saying that you have zeal for my house. And what is it that Jesus says when he enters the temple, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves, right here. Ezra is a foreshadowing of Jesus coming back into a situation cleaning up the temple, setting things back in order, pushing the thieves out, flipping over tables and chairs and setting thing, things right again. Um, and then, and giving it um, the the law, giving them the law. Why? Because Jesus does the same thing. Jesus is the true and better Ezra. The first thing he does is proclaim a sermon on the Mount. And what does he do in the sermon on the Mount, Scott? He, he says, you've heard it said, law right but i say to you he reinterprets the law to the people of god um and and proclaims the truth of that amen he he, uh i did not come to do away with the law but to fulfill it yeah and so you have ezra here as a foreshadowing uh of that now let me explain what's going on this last section as we we land the plane on ezra you've got in chapter eight and nine you have um, this whole thing with families, genealogies, the return of the exiles, and this pushback against uh, intermarriage. Now, um, about 60, 70 years ago, passages like this, Scott, were used to make, make it about race, right? We needed to be separate. We needed to be segregated. Uh, uh, interracial marriage was illegal in, in, in America at one point in time. And they would use passages like this to try to justify that. Let me be real clear. That's not what this is talking about. This has nothing to do with racial issues or ethnic issues. That's not why Ezra is calling them to repentance for their, their intermarriage. This has everything to do with religious issues. This has to do with being unequally yoked with spouses that didn't honor God um, and worship him in the way in which he he uh, required. Amen. Um, that That's the issue that's going on. So Ezra is saying, hey, part of the reason that you fell into captivity um, is your idolatry. And part of your idolatry goes all the way up to Solomon, who made all these treaties um, with these concubines and made the whole house a mess. 
and 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 Solomon even repents of this in Ecclesiastes when we get to it because he's going to say, "Hey, I, I did all the things. I had all the women. I had all the money. I had all the art. I had all the gardens. I had all the books. I did all the stuff, and it was meaningless. Right? It didn't actually fulfill me, and it actually made things worse." So that that sort of thing. So so as the king of Israel goes, so the rest rest of Israel goes. They fell into the captivity that they fell into because of their idolatry. And part of their idolatry came into the mingling of relationships, right? They wanted so much to be liked and accepted in the culture mm. that there was no really no difference between the people of God. Uh, and the people of the world. And so that's what Ezra is calling them to repent of. And that's why he spends so much time dealing with the issue, confessing on their behalf uh, to God, acting as as priest in, in that way, uh, and, and all of those things. And then chapter 10 ends with this idea of confession and purification so that they can enter into the temple. Now, there's two things that I want to point out here. One, Going back to chapter three, one thing I forgot to mention that I want to bring in here is when they rebuild the temple, there's cheering and there's praising and there's celebration. But there's also a group of older saints that remember what the first temple looked like before it was destroyed. And it's not the same. And they start weeping. And the problem is the noise between the weeping and the celebration is so loud that you can't tell the difference. Why are the, the, the old saints weeping? Because they know the prophecy that this isn't it. This is close. This is going to be okay. But there's something better than this that's going to have to come so that the glory of the Lord could fill the temple again, the way in which they remember it. And that's the story of the Bible, right? Amen. That we had per that we had perfect relationship with God, that we dwelled in a temple in Eden with God, and it and we broke it. And there there are times and ways in which we we could put things back together again, right? Together again. Um, but it wasn't the same, right? The the blood of bulls and goats was a band-aid on a mortal wound. It didn't actually atone for sin. We needed something better. We needed a true and better sacrifice. The temple was good, but it wasn't quite the same as God himself dwelling with his people. Right. And there's that tension as we get into chapter 10 and close the book of the temple being reset and Ezra calling people to worship God the way in which he requires and, and them purifying themselves in worship and presenting themselves before God and all that being good and all that being right and all that being uh, either principles that we should take before us, that when we come before the Lord on the, on the Sabbath, that we're uh, in a covenant renewing ceremony and asking the Lord to forgive us as we confess our sin and hearing the gospel and hearing that our sins are forgiven and coming before his table and, and, and being clean again. Um, however, all of that, even in and of itself has a tension, right? So as great, as great as the Lord's supper is, um, it points to a greater meal the marriage supper of the lamb and as great as our corporate gatherings are, and, and they are honoring uh, the Lord and remembering the Sabbath that points to a greater gathering one day where we will be around the throne and God will gather for himself a people from every tribe, tongue and nation. And, and, 
the elders and the angels and the heavenly realm will cast their crowns before his feet and we will sing uh, forever and ever. Um, so even in as we enter into chapter 10 and close the book, that's the tension you should feel that this is good, that this is right, but there's something better coming that closes Ezra. We Hopefully this was helpful. Hopefully you were able to kind of connect some dots and, and, and it'll help you set up for Nehemiah as you start to have kind of this, this concept together. Uh, but, but more than that, hopefully it, it points you towards Jesus, who is the true and better Ezra coming to build a true and better temple. Amen. Yes, we do folks. Uh, we do ho- uh, hope this has been helpful for you and, and hopefully it will cause you to not skip over when you get to Ezra, if you've made it this far in your Bible reading, or if you've been tracking along with us, um, these sorts of uh, of sort of interpretive understandings that we can listen to, read, uh, reflect on before we go to the book will help us not bail on it when it gets confusing. So we hope this has been uh, helpful for you, and uh, if and we hope that you will, if this has been helpful for you, that you would uh, like. Uh, rate and subscribe uh, share it with a friend and all and uh, uh, let us know if we can answer any questions for you absolutely until next time Scott this is a shrimp partner God bless you